0: Part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at wwwcorner or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated, you can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1 as we start Mark today. I do want to make a comment about that. We were going to sing that song last week as we were concluding what does it mean to surrender your life? What does it mean to take up your cross daily? And and uh, because I just I love that song, and I think it's well-written. I think it's just theologically right on track. And I also, just as I get older, the, the promise that's there. And uh, Q, how old are you now, buddy? 17. 17. And in, uh, God has proven his faithfulness to you in those 17 years. Yeah. And so when Q says, okay, Bobby, you know, God has been faithful to me, I... I take that, I'm encouraged that a young man would say, yes, I, I see God's faithfulness in those, what we would call as older folks, those tender years of youth. Uh, and then I look at Mr. Joe back there. Mr. Joe, would, would you mind sharing your age? Soon to be 80. Soon to be 80. And Mr. Joe all the time talks about how God has been faithful in his life. I mean, that's what that song is, that a young man who's starting out in life, and and in no way, I mean, we know that you're a mature young man, okay? (laughs) But it's one thing for a young man to, to, to say, okay, I've lived all these years, and I find my God faithful. That means a lot. But it also means a lot when I go to a Mr. Joe, who's about to be 80, and he says, all these years. All the ups and all the down, all the challenges, I found my God to be faithful. And, and what a blessing that is that we can sing of that faithfulness. That's actually one of the reasons why we're, uh, you know, people ask, how do you decide on what we're going to be studying next? Is there a book out there? Is there this and this? Hopefully it's a lot of prayer and just thought and consideration. And it was time for us to get back and go through a book. That's kind of what we, are our, our bread and butter here at, uh cornerstone is just to go through the books of the bible and uh why the gospel mark at this time well because at this time as i said before uh in the announcements kind we need jesus i love theology theology is so important because when my feelings do not want to cooperate i have the truth of god's word that gives me the assurance of those things Because there's going to be times in our Christian lives that we are down, that we are discouraged, that we are maybe afraid, that we are maybe even doubtful. And then we come back to solid theology and biblical truth, and that gives us that assurance that on that day that we feel like an orphan, no, we have been adopted into the very family of God. Does that make sense? That that there's feelings, and and God gave us feelings, and feelings are good, they're not evil or anything like that, but they can be deceptive. And that's why we need solid theological truth. But there's times I, that I need a person. I, I need that relationship as much as I need the truth. I, I love my wife. And, and through this, we're about to just next in these next couple weeks to, to celebrate 36 years of, of marriage and the faithfulness. And I just, there's truth there. There's just truth. She's been rock solid up and down. But there's times I need that truth. And I hope you get this. There's times I just need Carly. And so as we open up and as we go through this gospel of Mark, it is an intimate gospel. Now, I'm not saying that the other ones aren't. But Mark is intimate in that it focuses on the relationships that Jesus Christ had. You're going to see more of the relationships that Christ had in this shorter gospel than you will in the other ones. 20 different relationships of people that met Christ and how their lives came in contact and were impacted by this relationship with Jesus Christ. And in this time of COVID and uncertainty and all the different things that are going on in the world, folks, we need biblical truth, but we need Jesus. We really need the intimacy of relationship with the one who died for us and now lives in us and and through us couple of years ago, um, uh, reading a book, and uh, I don't know if you've ever read C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia, and uh, it's a great book for kids, but the adults seem to enjoy it just as much, and there's a, a line in The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis that, to me, was just one of those impactful, profound times. And it comes toward the end, and there's this character in Chronicles of Narnia, Lucy, and she knows Aslan. Aslan is this lion. He represents Christ in this Chronicles of Narnia. And it's been a long time. She's been separated from Aslan for from quite some time. And they get reunited. And so Lucy sees Aslan, this lion, and she says this, Aslan, you're bigger. And he says, this is because you're a little older now. And she says, not because you are, I am not, he says, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. My desire as we go through this, even though we have firm belief, I pray in Christ Jesus, and we have relationship with him, that we would find Christ bigger. That we would see this intimacy that Christ has with the people that he came to save, and so this that's my desire. I, I think that that quote from C.S. Lewis just really fits the Gospel of Mark very, very well. And uh, so let me tell you a little bit about, again, this morning we're just kind of doing an overview of what is the Gospel of Mark, why is it different from the other ones. Uh, it tells the story of Jesus in a very unique and different way. Uh, for one thing, it doesn't include the birth of Jesus. It's the only one, well, John kind of does. He does it from a theological perspective. But... Uh, Mark doesn't even try to. He doesn't you're not going to find the manger. You're not going to find shepherds and you know angels singing in the choir on, on the Christmas story. You're not going to find that in Mark because it's not there. Uh, he begins with the ministry of Jesus. It's also argued to be, and again, this is argued among theologians because none of the gospels you know, had a date on them. It's not like uh, some of the Old Testament books is, is in the year of so-and-so, and so we can kind of easily date it. The Gospels uh, do not include that. And so we can only go by kind of evaluation of the Scripture and different things that we know about the four different Gospels, about when they were written. But m- many, many, I won't say most, but many, many, I-, I would say the majority of conservative scholars believe that Mark was the first Gospel. And if so, that kind of plays into part of where he starts this morning. We'll get to that in just a little bit. That it was written perhaps about 20 or 30 years after Christ um, has gone. And uh, and you go, know, why did they wait so long to write these Gospels? Well, one of the reasons is simply, did they believe in the first century, that first century of Christianity, did they believe that Christ was coming back during their lifetime? Yeah. And so they weren't really kind of recording things because for the most part, I think that oral tradition was very strong. Uh, that was kind of part of the historical record that they had was oral tradition. They would tell stories, and they were very good at it. The Jewish people were extremely good at it. And, and so they had sufficient knowledge of the life of Christ, even though he had been gone, uh, resurrected, and then ascended for about 20 years. But when Christ did not come back in those shorter days that they thought, that's when they began to say, okay, maybe we need to write this down. And so we begin to see these Gospels emerge, and Mark, arguably, is the first one. It is also the shortest of all the Gospels. Uh, You can read it if you're just an average reader, kind of in about 45 minutes. If you're a slow reader, probably about uh, an hour and 15 minutes. If you're a quick reader, probably 30 minutes. So it's a quick one, it's 16 chapters, and it begins with his baptism. And one of the things that we find that's, again, unique is that it just focuses on the one-on-one relationships that Christ had. It doesn't so much have sermons in it. For example, Sermon on the Mount, you're not going to find that in. You're going to find that in Matthew. You're going to find it in some other Gospels, or you're not going to find that in Mark. He doesn't have a lot of the discourses, he has the interactions. Does that make sense of where he's kind of where he's writing from? Now, some people would say this Gospel of Mark really should be called the Gospel of Peter. Now, before you think, oh, Bobby, that's sacrilege. Why, why would you even say that? It's because most people do believe that because John Mark, John Mark, was a, the, a close associate, kind of. A, Uh, a student of Peter, that really this is kind of, that Peter gave the stories, the details, and the intimacies of so many of these interactions of Christ. And that John Mark is just used by the Holy Spirit to record this and to write this down. And so even though we call it the Gospel of Mark, very much you could argue that a lot of this is coming from the firsthand eyewitness accounts of Peter. And we find these teachings uh, or these interactions with Christ as the focus. Um, one of the things that you're going to find out, and probably perhaps the reason I like it the most, it is rapid fire, boom, boom, boom. I, I'm the first one to tell you, attention, my attention, about that. Squirrel, man, I'm, I'm, I'm following every distraction in the room. Mark kind of preaches in a way, and he leads and writes in such a way that he's in a hurry. He writes in a way that all of a sudden he just wants to get to a point. Now, can you guess what that point is? Where does he want to run to? Anybody just take a guess? The cross. The cross. He wants to go to the cross. He takes 10 chapters to 16 chapters, and 10 of those chapters are going to be focused on the three years of ministry of Christ. Okay, excluding his birth and then all that. So it's just the ministry of Christ, three years, ten chapters. Six chapters on the last week, the Passion Week of Christ. Now, why is he so desirous to get to this end point? Why is he in a rush, almost like it's shot out of a cannon? Because the Gospel of Mark reflects the hope of Christ, the mission of Christ. And he wants to get that mission. Well, we really see kind of the whole purpose. I I think almost all theologians and scholars kind of agree that Mark 10.45 is the central passage of this gospel, that it kind of captures more so than than any other verse in the gospel of Mark the mission and the point of why he's recording this, the perspective that he's coming from. Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. If you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, 1, you, you begin to see where this is going and why he's so urgent to get to this place of the cross, why he's running at rapid pace, where he's not including every story. He includes a couple of parables, but one thing that we do see is that he includes more miracles than any other gospel because he wants to show the interaction And he's portraying this servant's heart, and yet he's the first to say right from the beginning that this servant is the Savior, and he is deity. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The gospel means good news. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't just say Jesus Christ, he says Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's actually saying three different things there. He's given three different titles to Jesus. One, Jesus, that's really looking at the, the you know, how he is human, the, the personal earthly name of uh, Jesus. Then he says he's Jesus Christ. Christ is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word for Messiah. So he says, okay, yes, he is human, he's totally human, and, and yet he has a mission. And this mission is that he is to, to save those that would turn and trust in his work. And then, look how he is it. He's the Son of God. So in one phrase there, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he's bringing in the full humanity, the full deity, and the mission of Jesus in one verse. Okay, So he's very quick to say, okay, this is what this book is about, what this gospel is about. Now, why would that be important? If truly this was the first gospel written, how many years of silence has there been between the last written, recorded written oracle of God and this time? Anybody remember that? How many years? 400 years. So if this truly is the first gospel, now it's not saying that it's the first book written, but it is the first gospel. I believe that, that we have pretty good certainty that this was the first one then it plays into what Mark is doing here. He wants us to know that in this time of silence, this book is about Jesus. And let me clearly identify who this Jesus is. He is fully man, he is fully God, and he has a mission. And it all points to that Mark 10.45. It all points to this is what he wants to do. He's a servant, and he's come to give his life as a ransom for many. God's people have been waiting generations for the Old Testament prophecies to be fulfilled. So look what Mark does right from the start. He gives this clear identification that this is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now look what happens right afterwards. He begins to bring in the Old Testament. What Old Testament does he bring in? Malachi and Isaiah these two prophecies about how there's going to be a forerunner, that when the Savior comes one day, that there would be one that would come before him to kind of set the path. In fact, look back, Malachi, or you can look at the screen, Malachi 3.1. When we went through Malachi verse by verse just a couple months ago, we saw that this is a part of the way that the Old Testament ended with this promise of a forerunner. Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So Malachi, before 400 years of silence, says, Now guys, it's going to be silent, it's going to be dark for a while, but let me give you this promise. One day, God is going to bring about the Savior that Isaiah spoke of. If we go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, it talks about this forerunner again, John the Baptist. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, why am I telling you all this? Why is this significant? Because I want you to see the urgency of this gospel. Yes, Mark is trying to get us to see the historical significance. He is trying to get us to see the prophetic significance. But don't miss this, guys. I believe that what Mark really wants us to capture, and is so important in the day that we live today, that we are not at the whim of history, but that we serve a sovereign God. Do you see what Mark does? He said, a promise was made, and I'm going to show you that a promise was kept. And yet 400 years of silence and darkness, and even the time that they're living in, Christians, when he's writing this, are, are very much an attacked people. They don't feel like the prized possessions of a holy God. They, they feel like, okay, my goodness, is this really what the Christian life is about? These Roman people and Nero, you know, putting us to death? And so Mark writes with this assurance. First thing, right out of the bat, I want you to know, guys, that a God who promised this 400 years ago, and in the case of Isaiah, 700 years ago, is a God who keeps his promises. And that all of his promises, Mark doesn't say this, but the scripture will tell us, are made yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Guys, if you would have told me seven months ago that we would still have masks, that we would still have social distancing, that we'd have people missing work because of exposure to COVID-19, I would have said, I think you're stretching it pretty far. I think that our lives are going to be somewhat back to a regular pace, you know, by summer and certainly by the time school is back. And that has not been the case. Uh, That's quite surprising to me, but then again, what do I know? How long is this going to last? How long do we stay in this? How long do we stay with all the different political unrest and all the different things? We live in a strange time, but it's not the strangest of all time. It's not dissimilar to other strange times in human history. And yet here's the profound message that I believe the gospel of Mark, right from the beginning, is trying to to set for us. Know that we are not at the whim of humanity. We're not at the whim of history. We're not at the whim of just the the political winds that blow this way, or in this case, the the pandemic winds that blow left and right. Know that we serve a sovereign God. And that's what helps me to rest at night. I don't know about you, but that's, that's where, again, the theology becomes really important. That I just really believe, okay, God, I don't understand why all this stuff is going on. But I do understand this. You are 100% sovereign today. You'll be 100% sovereign tomorrow. And you're going to be 100% sovereign for, for all eternity. There's not a day that your sovereignty wanes even a .00001%. This begins to to, to help us understand in a time when we really have a lot of chaos and craziness going on that God is in control. See, when Mark wrote this, if it truly was one of the first Gospels, he's writing to a Gentile audience, specifically a Roman audience. And Christians in Rome at that time probably a non-Jewish, they probably weren't Jewish from descent, they probably are Gentiles, Romans, who came to know and trust Jesus Christ. They Christians were, were really being ridiculed, and, and they were really uh, under a duress that, that we can't imagine their lives were taken. Uh, if this was the time of Nero, and again, we, we can't specifically say it started, he wrote it in this point, but it fits the period by which the Christians very much were um, being beaten, they were um, uh, Nero sent many Christians to their death, uh, cruel things that we 've talked about before and i 'm not trying to sensationalize this and, and make it graphic, but he was a cruel man. He would put skins of animals on Christians and then release dogs, and the dogs would attack them. He would hang Christians upside down on crosses to mock. The cross of Christ. He would, at parties given to Roman authorities, light Christians upon poles so that they would be burning and they would provide the light. That's cruel. Not trying to be graphic. Understanding the time and place that Mark writes as he says, look guys, I want you to know that we're under duress. I want you to know that these are chaotic times, that these are troublesome times, but God is sovereign. And the first thing that he does is connect The silent period of 400 years to the promises of God. Now look what happens, Mark chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. After these 400 years of silence, John appeared. He he starts with the ministry of this forerunner. John appeared baptizing the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized By him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. He said what Isaiah prophesied 700 years ago, what Malachi mentions 400 years ago, I'm telling you, it's now happening. The time has come. And yet he's very quick to move from one thing to the next. Notice, uh, we're going to go kind of rapid fire through some scripture but I'm not doing it because I'm in a rush. Have you ever talked to somebody that you felt like they were in a rush? You know? And and you know, they were trying to be applied, but they were kind of talking and you were talking, but you could tell that they had one foot out the door. That's not what Mark is doing. He he isn't trying to be rude by rushing through these different things that we're about to read in chapter one. What he's doing is he wants to get to the cross. He wants to see the fulfill the, his readers to see the fulfillment all that God has done, so that they could have this assurance of his sovereignty, the assurance that this wasn 't just a plan that was hopeful but that it had come to pass, and that all these promises had been made yes and amen in the life and death and resurrection of Christ. so follow along with me okay there we saw in uh, verses four and five John the Baptist now look at. Uh, uh, verses 7 and 8 and he begins to announce that Christ is coming and he that is John the Baptist preached saying after me comes one who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit Okay, go just to the next verses 9 and 10 he talks about the baptism of Jesus In those days, Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Y'all remember that story? Okay. Right after that, look what he says in verse 11 and 12. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. And with you I uh, am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He goes out in the wilderness. What's going to happen there? Look at verses 16 through 18. Passing along the sea, uh, I'm sorry. um, Oh, uh, he takes him out to the wilderness. And right there, he he begins to, in in just one verse, he says that he was tempted in the wilderness. Now, if you go to the other gospels, how long do they begin to describe all the temptations of Christ? And they begin to describe in great detail. This is what Jesus said. This is how Satan responded. What does John say? He goes out in the wilderness and he's tempted. And then he moves on. And he goes straight into the calling of the disciples. Look at verse 16 through 18. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, called, uh, he saw Simon and Andrew and the brother of Simon casting the net, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 19 and 20. Going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Do you see how rapid pace this is? If we went to the other Gospels, we would see great details about this. It's almost like he's given us, and please don't take offense at this, and and please, I, I don't mean anything wrong with this, but have you ever read the Reader's Digest version? Or back in school, did you ever read the Cliff Notes? (laughs) And you kind of got right to the point. And that's what Mark is doing. Now, again, please don't hear that Mark is lazy. Don't hear that he is rude. But he's writing this gospel out of a cannon shot. And he goes through things that everybody else is taking 10, 11, 12, 13 verses. And he says in one verse. Here we are, Mark chapter 1, verse 23 And we are all, uh, I'm I'm sorry, verse 21, and we're already where Jesus is beginning to teach, in the synagogue. Everybody, If this was another gospel, you know where we'd be by verse 23 of chapter 1? The genealogy. (laughs) We would still be back at, this is who this Jesus is, and we'd be in the story of his birth. I mean, by the time you get to Luke chapter 2 and 3, you're still in the birth of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 1, by the time you get to verse 21, Jesus has begun his ministry. He's been baptized. He's already been tempted. He's already started the ministry. Now he's preaching in the synagogue. Look at verse 21 through 22. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered in the synagogue where he was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Immediately... We see a man come in there, demon-possessed, and we see a miracle of Christ from the very beginning. Verse 23, 24. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What do you have to do with Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Do you kind of capture how fast this is moving? In 10 chapters, we will see Mark cover the three years of the ministry of Christ so that he can get to this Passion Week and he get to his, he can get to his purpose. I, I, I like to talk, but I like to get to the point. And I'm sure that there's times that Carly says, just get to the point. There's certainly times because she's a very descriptive woman and she will describe things and... Now, I said Mark's not rude. I can be rude. Okay, okay, what's the point? Mark is my favorite gospel. Because he says, I'm not going to give you a whole bunch of extras right here. You can get that from the other guys that are writing. But God has inspired me to write to you this rapid-fire purpose of Christ and how Jesus has fulfilled that in every sense. What makes this gospel so wonderful is that Mark never loses this focus. In fact, do something for me. Uh, just in, in your, your Bibles right there, I know different translations are going to say it different ways, but I want you to see the word immediately just in chapter 1. Okay? Look at verse 10. Do you see it there? The word immediately. 12, 18, 20. Twenty-one, twenty-three, twenty-nine, thirty, forty-two. This is his. This is his word. <laughs> Uses it more than any of the other gospels, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately. Why does he have this immediacy? Because there have been four hundred years of gospel, folks, of silence, without the gospel. Seven hundred years if you go all the way back to Isaiah's prophecy. 30 years since the birth of Christ that he had uh, grown up and basically had the trade of a carpenter. And now the ministry of Christ starts. And this mission that God has focused all of eternity on, what is the central point of all humanity? Jesus Christ, life, death, resurrection. Everything that happens before them points to Christ and his mission. Everything since that day points back. Is all of our hope in our religion, is all of our hope in that we are just good people and that we hope that God works things out? Or is everything in our lives pointing back to this mission, this successful mission of Jesus Christ? Everything before, everything after. Pinpoint it right here. And that's why Mark, not trying to be rude, not trying to be brief, not trying to give us cliff notes just so that we have an easy gospel. Okay, this is the gospel for people that don't have a long attention span. He said, I want you to know, after 400 years of silence with all these promises, I want you to know God is in the midst of answering everything that he has promised. He's in the midst of bringing about in our life everything that he has promised. What a great way to live life. Mark is running to the cross. And I'm not trying to make that a kind of a catchphrase or be cute with that, but guys, is there anything better in our lives that we can do than to daily run to the cross? Because that's where our hopelessness turns into hope. It's where our despair turns into our delight. It's where our tragedy and our trials turn into triumph. It is all about Christ and his mission. And Mark says, I want to get you there really quick, because I want you to know that after all these hundreds of years of silence, that this is not a, a God who's been inactive. This is a God who's waited, as the Bible would say, for the perfect time Christ was born, at the perfect time and I believe that he was talking about a nanosecond not a nanosecond too early and not a nanosecond too late that at the perfect time God's timing his sovereignty this mission of Christ would be fulfilled dear friends we are not at the whim of history ever been through a pandemic before no hopefully that we will never go through one again but the world has. We can go back to the United States in just the early 1900s. We can go back across the world and we can see different times. This isn't unusual. It's just unusual to us. And it doesn't happen all the time. And it's easy for us because our lives have been come, become so chaotic and so disrupted in one way that, okay, it's just everything out of control. Have you had that thought at least one time during the last six, seven months that everything is just chaotic and out of control? And yet in the midst of that, there's a sovereign God who's working His plan for the ages. That's why we need good theology. Because there's days, I I promise you guys, there's been days that I have been so discouraged and so frustrated because we can't do what we normally do. And, And I really miss you. And I miss that kind of interaction. There's been days I'm going to go, okay, God, this just doesn't make sense. More than ever, we need this hope of the gospel. We need connection. We need community. And and yet, Father, I want to be responsible. I want to do all these things. And, And I've just been frustrated and discouraged at the same time. I've talked to many pastor friends, and they have expressed this same exact thing. And yet, God is working his plan. I need the theology on those days that my feelings don't line up well to remind me that God has purpose in every day of our lives. And that's one of the things I hope that we will see in this Gospel of Mark. That through the relationships of Christ. What does it mean to follow Christ? That was our challenge the last five weeks, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. Well, we're going to see where he goes and how he interacts and how he loves and how he encourages and just all the things, that the times that he takes a stand in his bowl, we're going to see all of that. So if we really want to know how to follow him, the gospel of Mark, it's going to be a great gospel for us to see that in action so that we can live it out. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you this morning that um, in a world of chaos, in a world where it seems like we can't make plans for a week or two weeks or three weeks down the road without at least some question mark, with some kind of an asterisk saying, okay, uh, only if this, this, and this happens, that you are a God who is sovereign and in control. That you have brought Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, into the world at the perfect time. That he accomplished his mission exactly. And that today, Father, he prays for us. He goes as an advocate on our behalf to you. And in this crazy time that we live, Father, we need truth. We need good, solid theology. But Father, I need Jesus. I need my Savior. I need the person that he is. And so, Father, we look forward to this traveling through the Gospel of Mark. Father, seeing the intimacies of 20 different relationships that Christ had with people and how he interacted with them But most of all, Father, we see this urgency, this immediacy to run to the cross. And Father, that's where I pray that we will just learn this truth of life. That in the good times and in the bad times, in the times of great blessing and assurance, the times of great challenge and difficulties, that Father, the best place that we can always be is at the foot of the cross. Realizing the fullness of the gospel, realizing that our savior, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, lived and died, was buried and rose again so that we could have victory. But father, that most importantly that we could become part of your family. So father, let it be well with our soul, not just as an emotion based But but Father, based on truth, but also in the person of Christ, that today, because Christ, 100% Father, succeeded in his mission, that we can say, truly, it is well, it is well with our soul. We love you and we thank you as we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.